0: The church in Galatia was born out of a beautiful movement of the Holy Spirit. The powerful and potent preaching of the good news of Jesus birthed a movement among the Galatians. But shortly after the Apostle Paul left, the church was hit with a crisis. The church had been infiltrated by a poisonous and convincing idea. Faith in Jesus was not enough. Instead of resting upon the completed work of Jesus, the Galatians began to believe they needed to affiliate with the right tribe of Christians, which meant they had to add to the equation. It was Jesus plus fulfilling the law, Jesus plus religious affiliation, Jesus plus sacred traditions. And if we're not careful, we too can heretically add to the gospel in the name of our own theological tribalism. But adding to the gospel only subtracts from it being the good news. There is only one equation we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything.
1: So good to be here with you. I wanna begin today by asking you a question. What would change Or what would begin to happen in your life if you were fully secure in Jesus? What would change and what would begin to happen in your life if you were fully secure in Christ? Are you reluctant at times to admit weakness, flaw, and sin to other people? Do you look for the approval of others perhaps more than you should? Are you highly offendable or defensive at times when you encounter criticism, critique, or disagreement? Or on the other side, do you say yes when, oh, I should have said no. Anyone? That one hit, I could feel that one. Do you have difficulty speaking up when you disagree or even when you prefer something else? Does fear push you to play things safe more often than not? Here's a fun one for me. Is your body more often in a state of peace and relaxed rather than anxiety and stress? The definition of secure is feeling safe, stable, and free from fear or anxiety. So let me ask the question again, what might change in your life if you were fully secure in Jesus? We have been in a series on Galatians, and today in chapter 3 holds the answer to that question. Today our text is Galatians chapter 3 verse 23, and what we're doing today is we're kind of arriving at the halfway point. Okay, so if you're with us so far, we're at the halfway point. So before we dive into my text today, I want to give us a bit of review. Does that sound good? Cool. When I ask you those questions, you can say yes. Don't say no, because that would throw me off, but you can totally say yes. (laughs) Appreciate that. Let's give some review. We want every week to encourage you and to spur you on in your faith, but we also want at the end of this series for each of you to say, I know the book of Galatians. That's a huge win for us. When I was about 10 years old, um, I was really into E.L. fudge cookies. Anyone know what those are? <laughs> There's my people. Um, E.L. fudge cookies are like an inverse, inferior Oreo, just to kind of explain it, okay? And uh, my mom would occasionally buy packages. You know, my mom's a doctor, so buying cookies for her was really hard. It's a very health-conscious family, Okay. It was one summer when she bought a package, and this was not a gas station package with one sleeve. This was a Costco package with three. I'm talking three lines of cookies. The E.L. Fudge cookies are that big. It was a summer day, I know that much, because I woke up, I had breakfast, and through the course of the day, I ate, I was gonna say three quarters. Let's not soften it. I ate seven eighths of that package through the day. (laughs) Let's not soften it, let's be vulnerable together, okay? Seven eighths of that package, but I was smart. We had a really strict family, and we weren't allowed to eat whole packages of cookies (laughs) in my home growing up, really stern rules. Um, And I'd ate seven-eighths of the package. But because that wasn't allowed, I moved the cookies from the back of the package to the front of the package. So if mom were to check and open the package, Russell's a good kid. He's a good kid. What I didn't account for was when she picked up the package, the (laughs) weight. may have shifted a bit from when she took it home from the store. All this to say, I came into the kitchen later that day, and she's holding the package open. We make eye contact, and I can't remember the exact verbiage, but she said something to the effect of, are you for real? I'm 33 years old now. I would never eat that many cookies, just half the package now. My friends, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he opens the letter basically saying, are you for real? Are you for real? Paul is writing his letter to the church of Galatia, giving them stern correction. Listen to his verbiage in verse 6 in chapter 1. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. If you are in the early church movement, you don't want to be the church of Galatians. You don't want to be gathered around, receiving that letter, opening it up, and say, one of the first things that Paul says to you is, I am shocked by what you are doing. Put yourself in that room. It's not a good moment, okay? The Jesus movement of the early church is spreading. It's on the move. It's moving all over the Roman Empire, okay? Yet, in the churches of Galatia, teachers are rising up and messing things up. The early church movement started as a Jewish contingent of converts, but now the Gentiles are coming over for dinner. Make room. They are now welcomed fully into the family of God, the family of Abraham. Circumcision is no longer required for entry into this family, only repentance and faith in Jesus. These teachers are demanding that these Gentile believers who are encountering Christ validate their place in the family through observing Torah and being circumcised. Let me clarify. If you were a male Gentile at the time, when you received the book of Galatians, you were, you were a little stoked. <laughs> What's happening here is the teachers rising up are adding to the gospel. They're adding to the gospel. And because they're adding to the gospel, they're regressing. They're turning away from God in their adding. That's the language Paul uses. They're turning away from the gospel, and they're adding to the gospel. Because they're adding to the good news, it's no longer good news. They're taking the salvation weight that only Christ could carry on the cross and trying to shift it back onto human shoulders. It's weight we cannot bear. Paul is bringing them back to the true gospel, the gospel that is freely given, through Jesus and his sacrificial work on the cross. Basically, what Paul is saying is this. Obedience to God does not make you belong to God. Belonging to God overflows into obedience for him. Obedience to God does not make you belong to him, but when you belong to him, obedience flows. My kids, I've got three kids, one girl and two boys, My kids are my kids because they are my kids. They are not my kids because they do what I tell them to do. Now, because they're my kids and because I love them, I do call them to obedience. Don't miss that. But their identity is never in question whether they obey or disobey. They are my kids. It is intrinsically a part of who they are, whether they like it or not. I'll let you know how that goes. They're still young. <laughs> Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 16. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. Faith Is the first step, not behavior. That's what this is all about. Faith is the first step, not behavior. And let me clarify really quickly, because this is important in our in our culture, our cultural moment in the Western Church. We are not anti-change your behavior. We are get the order right. When you follow Christ, your behavior will change, and that's good. But your identity is not earned through that change. Is bought with the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen? So today we're transitioning into a new movement in the book of Galatians, okay? The foundation of a house, it's not something that most people see or know much about. But if you get the foundation wrong, everything above it can crumble. So what Paul has been doing this last couple chapters is he's rented an excavator. I'm trying to connect with some of you construction guys this morning. He's rented an excavator. He's had it running. The diesel fumes are in the air, and he's clearing debris. He's getting a clean slate. He's digging out the foundation footings. He's putting bricks in. And we've almost built a foundation to where that can hold weight. We can start to build up here pretty soon. But we first have to put a couple more stones in before we can call it good. Does that make sense? Here's what we're looking at today in verse 23 in chapter 3. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This is what Paul has been building towards in all of chapter 3. The law of God was always meant to be a guardian until Christ came. That word guardian, when you read that word, you can substitute that word for the word tutor. It's supposed to imply a uh, temporary kind of measure. When you have a tutor, unless you're like me in high school, when you have a tutor, you're supposed to have a tutor for one day to not need the tutor. Does that make sense? At least that's the intent. Some of us, that we had a tutor the whole time. The point of the tutor is that you wouldn't need the tutor someday, that someday you would be free to tackle the coursework on your own. Think of bowling bumpers. I know bowling analogies always land. Think of bowling bumpers. When you go bowling, you have the bumpers, and they'll help you learn how to bowl. But you're meant to be free one day without the bumpers. You guys are coming back next week. That guy got a bowling analogy in there. Let's go. Here is what Paul is saying in the first couple of verses. The law of the Old Testament acted as a magnifier for sin. It was never enough to free people from sin. The law was never going to be enough to save. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, faith has come. The time of the law has stopped, and faith has come. We are now under grace not the law. Think of it as a, in terms of epochs, right? We were in the time of Trump. Now we are in the time of, the time of uh, what's that guy's name? Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was just, uh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Sh- Sorry. <laughs> Edit that out. Edit that out. Because faith has come, because faith has come, we get a new identity, a new security, and a new family. Because faith has come through Jesus, the first thing we receive in him is a new identity. If you're new to faith, the identity you carry in Christ is one of the most important things to wrestle with right now. I would argue that Your identity in Christ, getting that right, is a lifetime of discipleship. That is what discipleship is all about, becoming someone who is fully identified by Jesus Christ and nothing else. David Benner says this, everything that is false about us arises from our belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way, not God's way. Although we may say we want to trust God and surrender to his will, deep down we doubt that God is really capable of securing our happiness. Deep down we really doubt that he is capable of securing our happiness. Even for those of us who have been walking with Christ for a long time, we are so quick to run and hide in identities that are not him. Think of the garden account in Genesis 1. When we sin, what does Adam and Eve do? They hide from the presence of the Lord. And we are so good at hiding. There's three places where we typically hide in false or weak identities. We hide behind what we do. We hide so often behind what we achieve or what we can perform. I am what I have achieved. I am how I can be useful or helpful. I am my success in work, school, relationships, family, even church. And there's nothing wrong with finding success in those things. There's something wrong with finding identity in the success of those things. Are you with me? This plays out toxically in families that love their kids so much That they're working so hard for their kids that they never see the kids they're working for. It's schedules filled to the brim that if you get sick or something goes wrong, everything falls apart. Ask me how I know. (laughs) I'm there. Or some of you come from family cultures that have given you a script that says, if I don't achieve, something is wrong with me. If I don't achieve, I'm out of the family. That's a dangerous identity. I've been slowly, as God has brought me to rise, discerning God, do you want me to step into this space as a teacher of your word? I've been discerning that. And as I toil through the week for moments like this, I am genuinely asking God, God, use whatever I have to bless people, use whatever I can do to light people's fire in their faith anew. I'm genuinely asking that. But I'm also tied to an ego. I'm also, there's a part of me that just wants you to see me do good. And when I'm walking in Christ, no offense to you, I do not care what you think about how this talk goes. But that is a journey for me to be fully in him. And when I'm fully in him, this is the beautiful thing, when I'm fully in him, then he can release power in me that I do not know. Still working on it though. I am what I do. I am my possessions. I am what I have. New cars, new toys, new outfits, new clothes. New Amazon purchase. <laughs> Years ago, this is, this is, this is going to be a great Gresham Portland guy moment here. Years ago, I was bivocational, I was church planting, and I was also working in my brother-in-law's business. I was doing estimates for him and working to to build a church. In 2022, he bought a 2022 brand new metallic gray Toyota Tacoma. Does any guy in here own a truck? Does that not excite you? (laughs) It was a big deal for me. Um, You know, I never go off-roading, but now I'm prepared, you know. I'm I'm driving this truck. It's my personal vehicle, and it's also the vehicle I would do estimates in. And a couple weeks after driving it, I'm smiling, talking to my wife and saying, Love, I feel better about myself. I feel better about myself driving this car. I feel more like a man. I feel more like a man driving this truck. And I, it was funny, but it was a true moment of me realizing like, oh, this is kind of weak. <laughs> it was. It was a conviction moment. It was funny. It was light. But it was a conviction moment of how can my identity and my sense of well-being be tied to driving around in a steel cage? You know, that's ultimately what it is. Of course, now I'm just kind of living into the pastoral identity. I drive a Toyota Camry. (laughs) But I'm trying to fit in with the Gresham Crew, so I'll put like a two-inch lift kit on it or something, okay? (laughs) I'm trying to connect with you guys today. I've got trucks. I've got construction. Come on, let's go. (laughs) The last place we often run in a false identity is our popularity. I am what others think of me. And there's a healthy, again, there's a healthy way we do this, but there's an unhealthy way too. A constant need for affirmation. The need to be seen as special in other people's eyes. The sense of joy that we receive when you receive a compliment or an affirmation or the sense that my body is going to fall apart because I'm receiving critique right now. But when we begin to fully trust in Jesus... That he is our fullest joy. That he holds the fullness of life. That he is our greatest source of identity. Everything flourishes and flows from that. Everything flourishes and flows from that when it's right. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul is making today a massive identity claim in our text. In verse 26, he says, we, in Christ, we are sons of God through faith. The word sons here is actually really intentional by Paul. He's not trying to exclude the ladies in his language. But in the culture in which Paul is writing, only sons could be heirs. So what he is saying is, in Christ, we, are all, we all have the status of sons. In Christ, we all have the status of heirs. What does this mean? Through grace, we are not only forgiven, but we have become, we have become sons and daughters of Jesus. You are not only forgiven, you have become a son or a daughter. Verse 27: "In our faith, we put on Christ as our new identity. Few things on this. When we put on Christ as our identity, we are deeply loved. God has an affectionate love for you, because when He sees you, He sees His Son in whom He loves. Second, when we put on Christ, we carry the presence of Christ. God's Spirit no longer dwells in a temple. It dwells in you and me when we put on Christ. Because of this reality, we now carry, if you call Christ your own, you now carry the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus' name. We need, as the church, to wake up to that. We need Christians walking in the power of Jesus and the authority of his name. We need a little bit more of that in our world right now. Lastly, when we put on Christ, our identity as a whole is wrapped up in him. Jesus becomes the most important part about you. You are no longer your sin. You are no longer your past, your anxiety, your fear, your addiction. The most important part about you is him. When you put on a Trailblazers jersey, you become a Trailblazers fan. A clothing is something linked to our identity, isn't it? When you put on a Carhartt bib, here I am again, guys. When you put on a Carhartt bib, you are a carpenter. When you put on a boiler suit, you are a mechanic. When you put on a red-collared shirt and say, my pleasure, you are my best friend. And you work at Chick-fil-A. And when you wear mostly black and gray and don't know how to operate an umbrella, you are a Portlander, okay? I literally only own black and gray. I've lived there a long time. But when we put on Christ, we are his sons and his daughters, whom he loves, whom he sees, and in whom he is well pleased. The language there is supposed to ring something in you. Those are the words that God spoke over Jesus before he started his ministry when he was baptized. Before he started any doing, he started with identity. And everything flowed from identity. And the same is true for us. In the garden and in sin, we were were naked and we were ashamed. And now we put on Christ. We don't earn this identity, it is simply our reality. Everything we do as Christians has to flow from this. After a lifetime of serving the most destitute people you can your mind can imagine, Mother Teresa was invited to accept the Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo, Norway in 1979, and in a room full of the most important, wealthy, distinguished people, Mother Teresa accepted her award and took the opportunity to rebuke everyone in the room for their views on the unborn. Fifteen years later, Mother Teresa once again is invited to the National Prayer Breakfast our side of the pond. And the most important people in the world are in the room again. The Clintons, the Gores, members of Congress, other faith leaders. The most powerful people in the world once again squirm under the rebuke of Mother Teresa. I'm going to read what she said. The greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Because Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. Me. So every abortion is the denial of receiving Jesus, is the neglect of receiving Jesus. That's her critique. Then then here's her plea. Please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I am willing to accept any child who would be aborted. Critique and solution. Note that. Mother Teresa stood, and you can watch this one on YouTube. I encourage you to do that. She stood five foot nothing. She's a tiny thing. But that crowd in that room today was looking up at a spiritual giant. She stood on that podium, not secure in her work, not secure in her accomplishments, which were unheard of. She stood there as a daughter of the king. She stood as a daughter of the king. She stood secure in Jesus. She had fully put on Christ. I bring up Mother Teresa today just to open the lens of possibility for you. This kind of life and this kind of power, you have access to. I have access to. This is not a fairy tale. This is real life. You guys okay? (laughs) When we're living in this kind of freedom, this kind of security, this kind of identity, the beautiful thing about it is it doesn't push other people away. It allows us to live in deeper unity with one another. Part of living under the reign of Jesus' grace now, we're no longer under the law, we're now under grace part of living under grace is living with the new family in the church. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. So for Paul's words to have the impact they should have today, I want to give you a little cultural and religious context to the verses I just read. The Jerusalem temple in Paul's day culturally represented a hierarchy of religious access. Let's get a little charismatic today. Everyone say hierarchy of religious access. Hierarchy of religious access. There, I woke you back up. You're welcome. All right. In the outer court was the court of the Gentiles. In the inner court, beyond that court, was the women's court. Inside of that, the men's court. Inside of that, the priest's court. The inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and then the mercy seat. The high priest was the only person once a year who had access to the Holy of Holies. And the thing that separated the spirit, the presence of God from the rest of the world and the rest of the temple was the veil. So to have the religious access, you had to be chosen, set apart, the right gender, the right ethnicity, and the right tribe within that ethnicity. And then you had to hold to the moral code of the day. The presence of the spirit of God was a big deal back then. Maybe it should be a bigger deal today. So to hear Paul say to the church, you are all one in Christ, was huge. It was radical. When Paul says we are one in Christ, he is breaking down barriers. He's breaking first down a a cultural barrier. There is neither Jew nor Greek. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a perfect culture or race. Only a perfect God. There's no such thing. And the church should be a place where we are working and fighting for cultural and and racial unity. Amen? Amen? It should start here. and It should start our way. Second barrier is the class barrier. There is neither slave nor free. Your tax bracket does not determine your place in the family of God. Your tax bracket does not determine your place in the family of Jesus. If you came here today and your home is on the street or in your car, this is your family. If you came here today and God has just blessed you with wealth, you have an entrepreneurial mind, we bless that. (laughs) You have a place in the family of God too. There's no tax bracket determination to get into this family. Only belief in Christ. Lastly, the gender barrier. There is no male and female. When Paul is writing these words in Galatians 3, this was perhaps the most radical statement of them all. Women were considered not equals with men, but closer to property in that day. And Paul is saying to the church of Galatia that women are fully equal to men in value, dignity, and worth. And today, within the church, there's still debate about this, not about value, but about role. And the debate is fine, but I need you to hear me today. The heart of Galatians and all of Scripture has no debate about the value of women in the church. Full stop. No, no matter your view on role, there is no debate on worth Men and women are equal in value and dignity and worth because they are mago Dei and they are saved by grace. Full stop. We are sons and we are daughters of the king. We are kings and queens in the kingdom. We are both, this is Genesis 1 language, we are both meant to rule and reign. The Genesis 1 narrative is not Adam reigning and Eve supporting his reigning, It's they are both reigning. The reality of Jesus on the cross is this: the walls of division topple down. The veil is torn. And it's easy to to enter that world then and not think that doesn't have anything, and think that that doesn't have any effect on our day-to-day. But who do you have in the outer courts of your mind? Who in your mind could not enter into the kingdom of God? Let the Spirit of God break down those walls today. Who have you ruled out of the kingdom of God today? Whoever that person is in your mind, you might be the person who God is calling to bring that person in. In Jesus, there is no class, no race, no tax bracket, no political affiliation. Let me say that again. No political affiliation that he cannot redeem and welcome into this family. Faith and repentance is the ticket in. This is what it means to be one in Christ. This does not mean that Jesus accepts sin, but Jesus' posture towards people is always a posture of possibility and pursuit possibility and pursuit. The power of the good news of Jesus tears veils down and breaks walls down. It doesn't build them up. Who have you ruled out of the kingdom today? I want to say a couple things in the vein of oneness today and thinking about our church and what God is doing here in the heart of being one in Christ. The first is this. If you are looking for fault in the family of God, you will find it. If you are looking for fault in the family of God, you will find it. And can I just speak to another, some other areas of your life, if that's you? If you are looking for fault in your marriage, in your kids, in others, you will find it. C.S. Lewis in his phenomenal book The Screwtape Letters is writing from the perspective of a demon trying to derail a person from their faith here's what he says surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going the next best thing for him is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. This is not a product or service. This is a family that worships the king. When you go to a coffee shop, you go to a Starbucks, and they get your drink wrong, you can go to a different coffee shop. That's how the market works. I get that. That's not how this works. We are trying to bless you Here in this church, we are not trying to please you. Because if we're trying to please you, we're not trying to please him. If you understand the gravity of what it took for God to break down the walls, to tear the veil for you and I to be sitting in this room today, your posture will change. Your posture will change from a posture of critique to a posture of grace. And let me preface here, we live in a cynical world, and that's not all without merit. A posture of grace does not mean a posture of unquestioning cultish loyalty. I'm not saying that today. What I am saying is when you get the gospel, when you get what it took for you to come to the throne, you move from a a posture of critique where your arms are crossed waiting to be impressed by the guy up front or the band up front, waiting to be spurred on in your emotions, waiting to be pleased, waiting to be fed, you move to a different posture where you roll up your sleeves and you say, how can I work for the oneness of Christ here? How can I work to maintain the unity of this church here? Ephesians 4.3, Paul says "We our posture should be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So let me ask you, what is your posture towards the church today? Second thing I want to say, talking about religious access today, some of you have put yourself in the outer courts. Have you ruled yourself out of his kingdom today? Romans 5 6, Paul again says, For a while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you feel weak, inadequate, distant, broken? like something is wrong with you and God can never love a person like me. Perfect. You're in just the right spot where he wants you to be. Because he can. He can absolutely love a person like you. All you need to do is repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He's broken down walls, he's torn veils, and he's died on a cross for that reality. Ask me how I know. He saved a person like me. And if he can save a person like me, I am telling you he can save a person like you today. Ask me how I know. So as I close today, let me talk to two groups in the room. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, the decision to put on Christ is a daily decision. That's a daily decision. Not because the cross isn't enough for you, but moving from hiding to wholeness is a journey. That takes work. And perhaps some of you today, you've given your life to Jesus. You've given your trust to Jesus, but you haven't given your daily life to Him. Maybe you agree that Jesus is God, but over time, your identity and other things has caused you to take off Christ and put on another wardrobe. Put on Christ today, my friends. Put on Christ today. Choose to rekindle the fire in your heart that once burned. For those of you who don't know where you stand with Jesus, Maybe you're here today and you've had weird coincidences happening through the week that have brought you here. Invitations from that strange and happy neighbor that you found yourself saying yes to for some weird reason. These moments are hard to explain, but could I just posture to you the Spirit of the Living God might be calling you to come home to Him today. The Spirit of the Living God might be calling you home today to be with Him. Jesus is Lord, my friends. The requirements of being His son or being His daughter are scandalously loose. (laughs) Repent and believe. That's it. In Him, there is perfect love and fullness of life. In Him, the burden is easy and the yoke is light. In him, there is an identity and freedom you have not yet known. And in him, there is a way to move from insecurity to security once and for all, from quicksand to solid ground. And behind him is a family that's praying for you and wants to welcome you in. You coming into this family is literally what gets some of us out of bed in the morning. Come out of darkness into light today. Repent and believe that Jesus is Lord. And welcome to the family. Let me pray for you today. Holy Spirit, whatever you are doing today, I say keep going. God, I want our church, I want my life to be marked by a different identity. When people talk to me, I want them to have a a moment of, was I just talking to a normal guy or something different in him? Holy Spirit, would you help us to put on Christ, rekindle the fire in some people's hearts today. Maybe some of us need to recommit to put him on every day. And some of us in the room are feeling lost. Holy Spirit, would you convict of sin? And would you show the way to freedom today?
0: In your name we pray, amen.